Hi, and welcome to Lady Justice, Women of the Court. In some countries, Supreme Courts write an opinion as a whole court. After all, the law is the law, and there should be one unified interpretation of it. Well, that's not how things operate in the U.S. It behooves me to say a few words in dissent. Four members of this court dissent from today's decision. I must emphatically disagree with today's law-changing decision. Court decisions recognize openly that the law is not always clear and certain. A justice can write a dissent to explain why they think the majority got it wrong, or a concurrence, meaning they agree with the court's decision, but not necessarily the steps to getting there. I'm Karen Trigo-Stewart, the Public Education Coordinator for the Arkansas Supreme Court. I recently sat down with the Lady Justices to ask them questions about the process, which is also known as writing separately. I think it took me a little while to figure out when it was important to dissent. It's putting the opposing view out there in a respectful, logical way. Probably a majority of my dissents I've written hoping that they will never see the light of day. We'll hear from Justice Rhonda Wood of Arkansas, Chief Justice Bridget McCormick of Michigan, and Justice Beth Walker of the Supreme Court of Appeals of West Virginia. Justice Eva Guzman of Texas wasn't able to join us for this episode. So on your court, how do you rank in terms of writing separately? Are you a frequent dissenter, rarely write separately, or somewhere in between? Justice Wood, uh, do you want to start us off? I guess I'm sort of somewhere in between. I guess I'm. you're making me think of like Goldilocks and <laughs> Three Bears. Uh, when, so when I first came on the court, I wrote a lot of dissents and now I find they're less frequent and I don't know if that's a change in our court or um, I'm becoming more persuasive in how I articulate when we discuss the cases <laughs> um, on the, in conference and, you know, also being, I'm now third in seniority out of seven, um, if that, you know, makes a difference. But I, I think I write probably more concurrences now, um, that I'm probably more um, insistent on that end. I, I don't hesitate to write separately, um, but I don't feel compelled um, either. Um, so what do you, about you, Beth? Well, I guess I'm probably in a similar camp um, in the Goldilocks realm of <laughs> somewhere in between. I think as a new justice in you know 2017 when I first started, um, not being even a judge before, I think it takes a little while to sort of find your voice or find your confidence or maybe all those things wrapped together. And so I think I felt like I was a little hesitant to, to dissent and I wanted to get the kind of lay of the land and learn my job before I started putting myself out there. And I was sort of maybe too worried about, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, you know, once you stake out a position in a dissent, it's there and it is your position. And obviously you can change it, um, but you need to be conscious of that. So I probably uh, have been cautious, maybe overly cautious, but cautious about it. And um, I think now, and we'll talk about this probably a little later, we're sort of changing the way separates are done on the court. And so I think it's going to be a little bit more frequent for me, maybe in the future. How about you, Bridget? I think I'm, again, like uh, very similar to you two. I, I, I think it took me um, a little while to figure out when 
it was important to dissent. And when it made more sense to see if I could work with the justices in the majority to narrow an opinion or you know get an opinion to a place that I felt more comfortable comfortable joining. Um, and I think I've found my voice more and more over the years. Um, and so now I, I, I think I don't worry as much if I feel the need to write a dissent. I don't feel bad about it. I think I started out thinking we should find a way to agree as often as possible. And I do like unanimity when the court can speak with one voice. I do like it. There's something about it that appeals to me. So, um, you know, I, I, I think that there's part of me that's inclined to try and figure out is, is there a way we can get on the same page about hard questions. Um, but I think as I've matured as a justice, um, I've become uh, more and more comfortable with, it's actually fine if there are two different opinions or even three um, and the litigants and the public can handle that and sometimes they probably appreciate it. What motivates you to write separately? Well, I'll start. We have had kind of a culture shift at our court on the topic of separate opinions. And I'm super um, proud about the progress we've made and the conversation. I'll just, and this will answer your question um, briefly, but also talk about what we've been working on. Our prior court um, did not share separate opinions generally prior to their filing. Um, which is apparently uh, we were the only place on the planet that ever did it that way. I think that they there were a lot of motivations that I don't think were positive or healthy or helpful. Um, but regardless, I'm not going to cast any aspersions. I'm going to talk about how we have changed. And that is I have been an advocate for doing pretty much what everybody else does, all of you do, and that is share these separate opinions prior to their filing and make them part of the collaborative process that is coming up with a majority opinion. And so I'm, um, all of my colleagues uh, enthusiastically dove into this project with me this year, this calendar year, and we have been sharing our dissents um, and concurrences um, prior to filing for the first time ever. It's been a bit of an adjustment for some of the folks who have worked as staff attorneys and all of that for a period of time. But we have now evolved to what I think, or beginning to evolve to what I think is the primary purpose of a dissent. And that is to try to improve or correct the majority. Um, try to persuade. Sometimes, as I'm sure we'll talk about, the, the dissent becomes the majority, um, but it's putting the opposing view out there in my, in my philosophy in a respectful, logical way to try to improve the decision-making of the court. And I think that's really at the heart of all separate opinions. You can talk about, you know, wanting to stake out a uh, a policy, a legal philosophy or whatever. But I think the bottom line is we're trying to make the best decisions we can. It's not always easy. It's not always uh, clean and neat. Uh, but I think that's what uh, separate opinions do. And I love that we're talking about this. Rhonda, what do you think? Yeah, so um, I'd say that um, probably a majority of my dissents I've written hoping that they will never see the light of day. And um, so, and my clerks and I talk about that is that um, if it's published, then we failed. <laughs> you know, I'll come back after a vote that I'm sort of shocked by, you know, and um, surprised. Um, and and I, most of the dissents I end up, I write myself um, from 
from the start because I usually just feel very strongly. And it's written, you know, to hopefully make the majority either lessen the impact of the majority decision. They're not going to, if they're not going to change the result, lessen it. Or if I feel they're, they're actually steering the law in, in a way that they're not seeing sort of the fallout or the snowball effect that could come from that, that I'm trying to make that become clear in the dissent. And, you know, so I'll put examples and things in there to my, maybe hopefully bring it and narrow it back in. And the best thing in the world is I have to rewrite, you know, either pull my dissent completely, rewrite it as a majority or rewrite it as a one paragraph dissent from something that was seven pages <laughs> because they got it, you know, and they, you know, everybody kind of self-corrected um, and we came out with a better majority opinion from the court. Um, so that's sort of my goal and purpose usually. Justice McCormick, anything you want to add? No, I agree with everything um, Rhonda and Beth have just said. There, there, there are all there are lots of different reasons why um, why we write a dissent, and I agree with Rhonda. Hopefully, uh, a good dissent helps the majority opinion become sharper and um, clearer. Right? Um, that that I think is one of the most important reasons why um, we write dissents. Um, dissents are usually fun. Like Rhonda, I write a lot of them myself um, because you, you're you not always trying to accommodate a bunch of other people to make your opinion kind of boring and you know not your voice anymore. So I feel like sometimes my dissents reflect my voice more than my majority opinions for whatever it's worth. They're a little more fun. And what about writing concurrences when you're agreeing with the majority opinion, but wanting to note that you are getting to that conclusion differently? What is the value? I'll start. I, I think that concurrences are harder in a way. I, I, I think long and hard before I um, write a concurrence, and I like to make sure there's a good reason for doing it. Um, unlike some of the reasons I think you all have really well articulated for uh, the litigants and the public to see a majority opinion and a dissent, a concurrence just starts to undermine the clarity of um, the court's view. And I and I do think it starts to flirt a little bit with um, causing a bit more disruption than is needed. Having said that, I do do it sometimes. Um, so for example, if um, I agree with the majority opinion's way of getting to a particular answer, um, but I think there would have been a clearer one, but the parties didn't uh, bring that to our attention. I sometimes um, feel like it's worth pointing that out in a separate concurring opinion. Um, I will say usually when I am writing one, I ask the justices in the majority if they think it would in any way undermine uh, the majority opinions um, rule. So I do it usually with the consent of my colleagues, I guess, uh, or, or prefer to do it with the consent of my colleagues. Well, I'll throw one additional thought in, and I think it's complimentary or additional to what you all have said, but I think sometimes in a very charged or public or perceived important case, a concurrence can enable um, a, a justice to, to do some education, you know, and, and opinions are going to be widely read by the public. And just remind folks that, you know, we are deciding cases based on the rule of law, not based on what we like in terms of the outcome. And, you know, can be, it can be pointed out sometimes that these, in, in a better, I think in a more appropriate way, sometimes in a concurrence than in a majority opinion, 
that you don't like the outcome all the time. You know, you don't, but this is why we're following the law or as an individual justice in your own voice, you can say, this is why I did, you know, I agree with the majority and you can't overdo that. I don't think, but I think in some opinion, in some particularly difficult cases, um, it is another way to sort of um, support and educate about what we do. So Justice Wood, Justice Walker just talked about the educational value of an individual justice adding his or own voice. And I'm curious as to whether you can tell us about an individual opinion you wrote that maybe didn't carry the day, but perhaps laid the groundwork for a policy change to come. Yeah, so um, certainly, uh, but I, I don't know that I can credit you know, that it was a dissent. There's been quite a few times where um, when I was newer on the court that I wrote a dissent that then the legislature stepped in and, you know, changed the law to reflect sort of the, the dissent. But I don't know that it was in reaction to the dissent. I think it was in reaction to them unhappy with the decision of the majority. But there's been times you were talking about concurrences that they've taken the concurrence, you know, where I've written a concurrence saying, I really think the intent of the legislature, you know, we don't have um, good sort of, um, you know, legislative history. Um, It's easy to see that probably if we were guessing, this is what their intent was, but we're just looking at strict statutory construction. And by our rules of interpretation, this is how we have to interpret it. Um, and if this is not what they meant, <laughs> then they have the power to go change it. And just by changing a comma or, you know, making it conjunctive, disjunctive, they could show us their, the intent, but they have to do it through the, con- you know, rules of construction because we don't have anywhere else to go for, to see their intent or by better, you know, Um, sort of making, you know, a purpose statement in the, when they're enacting these acts. And then they've gone and done that, you know, and that was what we were just talking about, you know, writing a concurrence um, to say, you know, I have to join the majority because this is correct how we have to follow the law. Um, But to kind of give them some guidance to say, if if you didn't like how we did, you know, interpreted the statute, (laughs) you drafted it. (laughs) So anyway, um, but yeah, certainly um, quite a few times. Um, and that's the value to writing separately as well. I would just say on the, on the theme, I would add on the theme of um, legislative, uh, you know, when you, I was not a legislator, but some of my colleagues were, and I see them writing dissents because they were involved in legislation and then they get to the court and they say, oh, I thought, you know, to themselves, not in a, in a separate, this is what I thought we were doing, but now that I'm looking at it, I realize we could have done it better. And they don't say it in those very plain terms, but it is kind of an opportunity for them to signal, as Rhonda said. I think actually one of the um, fun things about being on a state Supreme Court is how responsive the legislature can be to what we do, right? It's, it's I mean, I feel like um, it's not uncommon at all, as it sounds like it's not in your states for, um, sometimes even in the majority opinion for us to say, I remember one case in particular where um, the statute allowed uh, a police officer to pull somebody over if their license plate was obscured even by a bike rack or a boat trailer. In this case, it was a trailer hitch. And you know, in Michigan, we're about our boats, right? <laughs> I mean, we, we, we need to be able to have a hitch on our car without subjecting ourselves to being pulled over every single time we drive. And I in particular always have a bike rack on my car. So we, in the, we included it in the majority opinion said, we, you know, this seems 
maybe like not the best idea, but we know that the legislature knows how to figure it out. And, and sure enough, they did like about a month later, it took them no time at all to, to, um, to figure out uh, how to amend that statute so that um, I can ride my bike whenever I want to without getting pulled over. <laughs> so what about times when you write something and feel like it's been misinterpreted? Or you go back and read something after it's been published and don't necessarily like what you wrote. I think that uh, in hindsight, there have been some majority opinions that I wish that I'd written concurrences on. I think that when I was, it, we talked about being a newer justice, that I was, you know, less likely to sort of push harder on making sure the language was precise in a majority opinion when I was the new, you know, justice on the court. In hindsight, some of that language is a little maybe sloppy <laughs> and then comes back, you know, that it could be misinterpreted by the bar and others because the precision wasn't there. And so um, now I've learned from that. And so, you know, I'm, if we can't get the majority opinion very precise, then, you know, I'm going to write a concurrence because I've seen the dangers of that. And one of the things, you know, I do with my clerks is I say, let's pull, we, we read every sentence of a dissent. It's painful, but we just read a sentence and it sits. And then we read a sentence and it sits. And it's sort of, if anyone pulled one sentence out of our dissent, could it stand alone or could it be misinterpreted? And so we sit there and we read it. And sometimes you'll get that one sentence and think, oh goodness, <laughs> if anybody quoted that sentence, it, you know, it, it sounds horrible, you know, standing alone. And so we go sentence by sentence um, and read them to make sure there couldn't be something misinterpreted. So I don't know, um, what about the others? Well, I'll uh, first of all say that if any of my law clerks are listening to this episode and just heard that about, um, I don't know, I, that it sounds oddly um, interesting and also um, difficult. So um, what a cool process though. I mean, it's just, it's interesting to think about taking apart your writing in that in that way. So wow, that's really um, that's a great suggestion, actually. But um, I think to highlight your point also goes about how you learn sometimes through experience that you wish you didn't have. How um, the the implications of a decision can sort of happen. You know, we've we've had a series of cases interpreting a statute that I can think about where I wish I could go back to the first one and just start over because, you know, we were, we were doing the best we could. It was a criminal statute um, that was, you know, the folks had differing views on from a policy perspective, but we were trying to apply it. And I wouldn't say that we've created a mess because that would be too strong of a term, but, you know, if we'd started it a little differently, I think we would have better guidance. Now, the legislature has since done some amending, which has been good and as a result, but the, the process of getting there wasn't as um, streamlined as you would love in, you know, in our, in our roles. You know, we want everything to be, um, you know, very intellectually sound and very astute and sometimes uh, it's not but another part of that of course is asserting yourself at you know in in your position and seniority how to guide a, a director of a majority opinion without looking like you're trying to insult them is a really delicate balance to find um, and I'm, I'm learning how to find it and some mistakes you let go and some mistakes you say oh I shouldn't have let that go Bridget what about you 
Yeah, I think of course there are um, decisions I've made, opinions I've um, written that I I would do differently. In fact, I this is not exactly responsive, so I promise to answer the actual question. But um, I don't know about you all, but when I read my early opinions, the writing style makes me cringe. I mean, it's like nails on a chalkboard. I can't believe that's how um, boring my writing was. Um, obviously, that's different than substantively thinking I should have come at this a different way, but I have those as well. Um, and I think it's okay to say that. Um, I've, I've, I've said it to my colleagues in conference, you know, when they'd say, well, you were, you know, you wrote a dissent to that in 2000 and whatever, 13. And I think like, yeah, I, I'm not sure that was right. I'm not sure that's where I am today. I'm not sure I'm, I still think that's the correct position. And I think it's okay for judges to be people too, and uh, for us to change our minds um, and be able to say we would do something differently, um, even if it's we would come at the question differently. And so I definitely count myself among those who have to say that for sure. Are the dissents and concurrences written in a unique style separate from the style um, of the majority opinion? not the content of it, but the actual writing style. Um, and, and whose writing have you been inspired by or impacted by? It's such a great question. I, I, I actually, I think there are so many separate opinions by other justices and judges that I've read and admired, um, sometimes for their clarity, sometimes for their humanity. And Justice Sotomayor comes to mind for me because she often puts human beings in her opinions in a way that I truly admire. I don't know if I can say it's, it feels uh, like a lot to say that it's impacted me because obviously I don't think of myself as anywhere near Justice Sotomayor, but I appreciate that in a lot of her dissents, she puts people uh, at the center of them. So, I mean, even in, um, there was a recent denial of, or it was, I think it was a reversal of a stay in a death penalty case and she named the 17 people who had been executed um, in, in just uh, the recent years um, and, and naming each one of them in that opening paragraph of her dissenting statement was I think um, really impactful. Um, and it's just one example of how she often puts human beings at the center of her, of her opinions. Um, and I like to think, um, I try and remember human beings when I'm writing opinions, either majority opinions or dissents or concurrences and remembering that our um, decisions and opinions affect real people. Um, and so if there is a lesson I would love to um, take to my own work, it's Justice Sotomayor's um, humanity in, in, her, in her writing. Justice Walker? Um, I would say uh, if, if you wanna talk about the style I think sometimes you can you can try out a style that you're trying to encourage others to adopt. I tried to to write everything, but particularly my separates in a very sort of plain, not a lot of legalistic words kind of style. And all my colleagues have never all shared that. So my my hidden agenda for for my separates sometimes is to model the writing that I wish the court would have. Um, you know, that's the kind of thing you can you can try out in separate opinions. I'll say that um, stylistically, I'm way more emotive, you know, in a dissent um, than obviously, a, you know, majority is very sort of legalistic. And, you know, I'm very my style is very clear, concise, non-emotional in a majority. 
Um, but I think if you're writing to persuade in a dissent, stylistically, it's quite different when you'd almost think it's not the same writer, you know, when you read my majority opinion versus a dissenting. To what extent do you think that writing a dissent can hurt your relationships with other people on your court? You know, I I do think that it is certainly possible that sometimes the process of um, writing a dissent can have collegiality costs. I, I like, I'd like to think that I try to make sure I am not contributing to those uh, particular occurrences. And um, so, for example, I try and explain to a colleague who has written the majority opinion why I'm going to be dissenting and what it's going to say. Um, we had a, a senior colleague who just left the court in December because he had to, um, he was age, aged out, Stephen Markman, who many of you have probably heard of, who is was extremely collegial, and he would always call you or give you a heads up when he was going to circulate his dissent. And I, I found this so um, lovely. He would say, if there's anything in it that um, you feel is unfair to your opinion, please, please give me a call and I, and I will, I will rework that. And it was a really nice thing to model, I think, for all the rest of us who are pretty new. Our court is, we've had a lot of turnover in the last um, eight years. Um, and I think that's the way to go about it to make sure there are not collegiality costs. Because as we all know, when you work on a multi-member court, the, the, your relationships matter. And if you are on everybody's nerves today, that's going to that's gonna impact the, the important work that you have to do tomorrow. So figuring out how to disagree agreeably is uh, an important skill on, on a multi-member court. So, I mean, I've seen certainly, you know, some dissents that have caused collegiality um, issues. And that's why it's really important that we get it right when we, you know, I'd say get it right when we write. (laughs) Um, But you cannot make personal attacks or you can't question the motive of the majority. Um, You know, you can't even sort of hint that there's something improper with how they reach their decision. Um, It just has to be clearly setting out the differences in a way that doesn't undermine the court. Um, And you have to be very careful. And it's hard to do when, you know, it's hard to do when you really feel strongly that, you know, the decision's in error. Um, And that's, you know, one of the reasons I have law clerks, because they go through and they pull any of that out from me when I've written sort of in a little bit of frustration um, before the other members of my court would see it. But um, that's, it's, that's a hard needle to thread. I will just add, um, and this goes back to changing our process, but I can say firsthand that the, all of the, the nasty attributes that we've mentioned in dissents, personal attacks, or questioning the motive of the majority did occur with the old court, and it was very divisive. And it, it added to the difficult culture issues that we on what we like to call the new court in West Virginia are trying to change. And so I can just, it it is absolutely destructive and difficult. And I'm so glad we are past that now. Well, all right, thank you, ladies. And now as we wrap it up, I'd like to continue the tradition of having a lightning round at the end of all of the episodes. So if you're game, um, let's do several questions, um, all with short answers. What is a pet peeve of yours 
when it comes to language used in an appeal or a court decision? Okay, it's an opinion that starts with appellant Tom Smith appeals. That is my pet peeve. It's like, it just drives me batty. So I don't know, Bridget. <laughs> yeah, that, that's going to bug me too. Um, I, my, mine is all legalese. I really feel like we have to, you know, like uh, teach every, all the legalese words that we were all taught in law school. I, I just, they, they all trigger me when I read them in opinions. Where to fours, here to fours, henceforths, all of them. Don't like them. Drive me crazy. Um, I have a list of 40 or 50 words that I've put on Twitter. I haven't put them up lately. I may have to do it again, but if I had to pick one, the instant case drives me crazy. Next question is, do you have a favorite snack when you're pulling a late night? So I have been trying to be healthy during the pandemic, but I would be lying if I didn't admit that uh, when things get a little rocky, there are M&Ms involved. I, I, M&M's involved is, is a really good name for a band that we should start. I think our, our band should be M&M's involved. Um, I have a chocolate weakness too. I, if I, um, and I feel like I have earned it somehow or deserved it when, if I have to work late. Um, but even better than M&M's for me are those little mini Reese's peanut butter cups because they're so tiny that of course they're calorie free because they, you know, you, you, they're, they're just so small. Rhonda. So um, COVID has helped me because I buy like healthy stuff. So I do raisins and peanuts. Um, but when I was in the office, my assistant buys all those mini like candy bars, like Halloween. And so my raisins and peanuts like were untouched and I ate all of her little candy bars. <laughs> but now that during COVID, all I've ate are my peanuts and raisins. So I'm dreading going back. <laughs> And now I'd like to ask a question regarding the pandemic. What is something that you miss doing and something that you really have not missed? Well, we have been live and in person and in the office for a while now. So we're fortunate about that. But I guess from uh, things that I miss doing, um, I think it's I miss and don't miss the same thing, which is um, sort of we've all lost our spontaneity and going places and doing things and gathering with people. You know, you have to have a reservation. You have to make sure the restaurant has enough tables. And and I kind of miss that sort of spontaneous. Let's all go do something because it's been difficult to plan that. So I look forward to that kind of thing returning as much as we can socialize and appropriately uh, based on our roles, but I do miss that. So um, I have missed um, going to church live. Um, it is not the same. We watch church on YouTube and that was always like my reset for the week. Um, and so I miss that tremendously. What I don't miss is I've, we've started, I've started going back in the office. I do not miss the commute. I did not realize how much time I spent commuting. I just, I think I have less tolerance for it. So um, yeah, it's awful. Don't miss commuting. Um, and I will say the other thing that I vote, it, it, it hurts when I now have to wear them are heels. And I wore heels all the time before. And now they literally hurt my feet and I don't know how I did it. So um, heels, I don't miss. Um, I miss seeing family. I mean, I, I live in Michigan and my siblings live in Los Angeles and my, they both have, you know, kids younger than mine, mine are all grown. And my 
brother has a baby. He's only one and a half years old. And I, ha I haven't seen him for a full year. I haven't, you know, hugged him for a full year. Um, and I'm his godmother. I want to, I want to hug that little dude. Um, and same with my parents. My you know, mom is in Long Island and I have not seen her in over a year. My dad, um, who has uh, bladder cancer, had his bladder removed right before the pandemic started, um, lives in North Carolina. And I feel like we're getting, I, I feel a little robbed of time with my parents um, when I don't know how much time they have left. So that's what I miss the most, hugging family. I had to dress like dress up um, last week and try to put heels on. They don't fit right anymore. Yeah, something happened to our feet. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it really did. I think like my, the bot your toes spread out. Yeah. Walking flat. <laughs> on that note. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks everyone for joining us for this episode of Lady Justice, Women of the Court. I think this is where I say that the opinions expressed by the justices are theirs alone and not necessarily those of their respective courts. <laughs> Visit LadyJusticePod.com to listen to previous shows and find links to our show's social media. There's also information on how to send in a comment or question. All the best and until next time. <laughs>